1785. Now, according to legend, uh, Burns was plowing in the fields and he accidentally destroyed a mouse's nest, field mouse nest, which it needed to survive in the winter. In fact, Burns's brother claimed that the poet composed the poem while still holding on to his plow. And in it, Burns said these words, which are, I suppose, just about the most famous ones that he ever penned and all the ones that he penned. The best laid plans of mice and men gang after glay. Who has not heard that? If you haven't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> gang after glay, Scots for the best laid plans of mice and men go oft awry or astray. In other words, never about anything you plan, in this case, a, a mouse is planning for the winter and building her nest, something's gonna come along and screw it up. Uh, today's lesson is an example. <laughs> That's what this is all about. When we started this series, we men, me and Adam and Grant, each of us was to take one of the attributes of God each week in the book that we're using. As it turns out, however, that sometimes is not really very practical or very useful, at least in my never so humble opinion. And I discussed this with Adam and I think I convinced him also. Ooh, who, me? I want to hear the rest of the sentence first. <laughs> <laughs> pretty quick thinking, Adam. For instance, mine today was supposed to be on independence, God's independence. I read the whole chapter and I distilled it down into about a half a page and that was 16 point type. <laughs> and there wasn't a whole lot there. Uh, I'm sure that the author thought there was a lot there, but it was just a whole lot of words and the more I read it, the more I thought, this has very little to say to the average Sunday school class. And ours may be a little above average, but it ain't that much above average. So what I plan to do today is to take two of God's attributes and try to make a whole lesson out of them. And that's going to shorten the whole series by a week, and if we do this again, it'll be even shorter. I'm just giving you all a heads up of why I'm doing what I'm doing this morning, and if we come to the end of our time and there's nothing to say one Sunday morning, you'll know why. So, first of all, God is independent. When we say that God is independent, what we mean is that he needs nothing to become. You know, just to be. He needs nothing. He just is. He is self-existent. That is, he needed nothing to come into existence. And furthermore, he needs nothing to stay in existence. He just is. Yes. You said that, you said he needed nothing to come into existence. That indicates that he came into existence very, at some point. Very astute of you, Mr. Hayes. Oh, oh. Good. In fact, in fact I, meant to, I meant to mention that, and I don't have it in my notes here, but you're exactly right. That sentence really is not thoroughly accurate. He needed nothing to come into existence. Uh, at the same time, he needed nothing to be in existence, I guess I would say. Or that the idea still is he needed nothing to come into existence because he didn't come into existence. He always was. He was. 
He was. He was. One more he time. He is and am. Is and am. <laughs> he just is. And so we say that he is self-sufficient. He needs nothing to continue to be. He needs no water. He needs no air. He needs nothing. Love, security, nothing. He, he needs nothing else. And furthermore, and particularly, he does not need us. I remember one time a man in Oklahoma, I've used this ignoramus more than once, I'm sorry, I've this man more than once, uh, as illustrations of ignorant things to say. This man told us on more than one occasion that he received direct revelation from God. And he said that God created man because God was lonely. That is ignorant hogwash. God does not, nor did he ever need anything, much less did he need a man who would cause him so much grief over all the subsequent centuries. That is the kind of stupid stuff that one gets when his theology comes from his own imagination. There's a, a terrible postscript to this story also. If you knew his name, you could Google him. And you would find that once he retired from the telephone company, he uh, became a preacher. The, uh, what's the, what's the, the preacher that looks so mad all the time, the health and wealth guy? Not Kenneth A. Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland Ministries, he's one of his, one of his churches. And uh, he's got a big old church out on the west side of Lawton. Apparently a lot of people going there. And the one that I serve is now defunct. Dead, gone, evaporated. Makes you wonder sometimes. At any rate, of course, y'all heard me preach a few times. It may not make you wonder. You may say, no wonder. But at any rate, uh, God derives his existence. If you can say he derives it, even. But to speak after the manner of men so that we can communicate some, I've got to say it. He derives his existence from himself. We speak of this as his aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity. And it is a word which expresses God's self-sufficiency in terms of his being. That is, his complete and utter dependence. That doesn't make sense. I get the pages messed up? No. Um, independence. Man. Independence. Independence. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I read Would you like me to come up here and teach? Yeah, why don't you do it? I'll sit down. <laughs> Maybe we'll learn something this morning. His complete and utter independence of everything else. And so we say simply that God is. There is nothing more that we can say there. And remember that, as has already been brought up, He expressed that in His name when Moses said, "Who am I going to tell the children of Israel? Sent me." And God said, I am that I am. I simply am. That's who is sending you. I'm not becoming. I'm not growing. I'm not anything other than ising. There were many more words now in the book which we're using as our, as our guide, but I cannot see that they would benefit us a bit more except to say that recognizing this we need to realize again that only God is self-sufficient. 
Mankind is not self-sufficient. And so again, we see the need to humble ourselves before God and to recognize the creator-creature distinction and our utter dependence upon him for everything. And it reemphasizes the need to be continually thankful for his goodness to us who are his creatures. Now, this brings us to the next attribute, which is his omnipresence. But before we go into that, I wonder if there are any questions or comments that anyone would like to make about what we have just seen. I sense yes. Well, I, mean, I, don't, I can just throw a few, a few more thoughts in as far as aseity and why it's important. There are people, even, even Reformed uh, theologians today, who say that um, God, when God speaks to us or when he interacts with us or when he listens to us, that they want to use a phrase, they want to say that he genuinely, that he genuinely interacts with us. It, because what they argue is that when it looks like he answers our prayer or when he speaks to us or uh, when he uh, interacts with time or something like that, they want to be able to say that it really is exactly what we're talking about and not anthropomorphic. I don't remember. I think actually anthropomorphic is one of our lessons we're going to do towards the end. God is anthropomorphic is one of the lessons, so I don't want to step on that. But you might want to explain that. To yeah, I'll, I'll explain what that word is, though. Anthropomorphic means that it speaks in a way that humans understand. So uh, when it says God was angry with Moses, you know, he's angry with Moses because he didn't circumcise his child. Um we would put it into the words that he's angry with Moses, and we would say that uh, God has chosen to express uh, anger at Moses. But if you were to ask, is the being of God actually impacted by Moses' not circumcising his son? Is something within God actually disturbed or moved? We would say no. Biblically speaking, no. Instead, uh, his actions towards Moses are anthropomorphic. So he puts things into ways that we understand, he would even talk, the Bible even talks about God repenting. Those sorts of, of terms help us as far as human beings interact with God, but it's not a real expression of what really goes on within the being of God. The reason that's important is because it's like Robert said, we need to know that our God actually doesn't change, that he can't be hurt by us, that he can't be damaged by us, um, and that he doesn't need anything from us. Um, so it is important, but you are right too. It's... God's independence, his aseity, is on the upper end of the philosophical type stuff. You know, it's like, it's, 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 pretty, it's, it's pretty high level. There was a book that just released, I think, a year or two ago, just defending the classical view of God's aseity. And it was a very popular book, but partly because people just don't talk much about it. So. Right. And, you know, there's one other thing to say, I think. Who can comprehend someone who had no beginning? Can't be done. Remember we talked about that? We talked about his um, eternity, his infinity. And the bottom line is that if we start with the mind of man rather than with God's revelation of himself, the only wise thing to be is an atheist. If we start with our mind, 
We cannot comprehend God as he is. Therefore, the application there is when we think about God and therefore everything else, all of creation, we must start with the scripture, what it has to say about God because it is God's revelation of himself to us. And that makes us 180 degrees different from all non-Christians, regardless of what brand or type they are, whether they're secular humanists or Hindus, atheists of some stripe, anything else other than a Christian, everything else starts with the mind of man and speculates from there. Only the Christian starts with the word and revelation of God to him and starts there. We're just different. And so all attempts, I think, to communicate with on, on these sorts of things with someone who uh, does not accept the word as the revelation of God are bound to be futile. This is one reason also, you appreciate this, why I am not an evidentialist. There are two ways to discuss God and the faith and all that with non-believers. One other was called evidentialism, the other is called presuppositionalism. And evidentialism says, here are the evidences for God, here are the evidences for the truth of Christianity and all that sort of thing. But if he doesn't accept the basic presupposition in the first place, which is that God exists and God has revealed himself through his word, who are you talking to? You darn sure aren't communicating with someone because they are rejecting it, rejecting every word that comes out of your mouth. Presuppositionalism, however, is not a very nice way to be sometimes because you tend to, if you're good at it, you tend to tell people who disagree with you, you're wrong. <laughs> and that comes naturally to me, but uh, a lot of people don't like to be uh, that way. That's why I've always, for the last 40 years, thought I would have been much more vocationally satisfied to have been a lawyer, but uh, God had other plans. Any other comments? I think it would be just very satisfying to be in a courtroom and catch somebody in a lie. Liar, you're wrong! And have him just wilt. <laughs> okay. All right. So you got to do that with the text each week. That's what you With the what? Never mind. All right. uh, okay. So now we come to God's omnipresence. And uh, this is a word with which I expect we're all familiar. It means that God is simply everywhere. Omni, every, all, um, all of that sort of thing. And presence, of course, we know what that is. So God is everywhere. We see a couple of texts that say this. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 24, for instance. Uh, the question is asked, Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? And there he answers his own question. Also Psalm 139, verses 7 through 19. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall upon me, 
Even the night shall be light about me. <coughs> Indeed, even the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light both are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. By the way, this is a very strongly pro-life passage here talking about the uh, infant, the fetus, we call him now, in the womb of his mother. And skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. And he goes on. But the point here is that there is no place where God is not. So that's what omnipresence means. It means that there is nowhere where God is not. Not only is he out there, and that infinitely so, but he also is in here. Eternity means that he has no beginning or end. Immutability means he can neither increase or decrease. And omnipresence means that there are no bounds or limitations, either big or little, on where he is. Being everywhere then means not only means uh, not just that he is there, but that he is in control everywhere. Can God be in somewhere where he is not in control? What would he be doing there? Just hiding out and watching, see what's going to happen? Of course not. If God is there, he is in control wherever there is. And so, as R.C. says, there is not one maverick molecule in the universe. Not one. And how many mo molecules are there in the universe? Who can count them? Only God. There got to be trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions of them. And not one of them operates against God's will. Because God, uh, so God is there and he is sovereign over everything. Because God is everywhere, creation then is preserved. It is preserved according to his wisdom and his power and his goodness. To control all things, he must be where all things are. And that means omnipresence. For God to fail to be omnipresent, then creation literally would fall apart. There would be no guarantee of anything's sticking together if it was not in control by God. And so while God is in control or is present everywhere, however, he manifests that in different ways. We speak sometimes of God's being in a place in a special in a place in a special way. We, someone might say, "I felt the presence of God," and he might indeed be right. Or someone will say, uh, after some deliverance of some sort, 
I felt the peace and presence of God as I went through that. You may well be right. Uh, the omnipresence of God is especially visible in Jesus. That is, in his living in us. Remember the name that Jesus was given, God with us. Excuse me as I turn to my next text to you. Here we go. Uh, after his resurrection, you'll remember that Jesus promised his followers that he would be with them and that always, even to the end of the earth. And he would send, remember he would send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to live in each believer. And that way we read, Christ dwells in their hearts through faith. When dealing with the omnipresence of Christ in the lives of believers, Holy Spirit and Christ are sometimes used interchangeably. In Ephesians 3, verses 16 and 17, for instance, we read this. Well, let me go back to 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened through, uh, with, to be strengthened with might through his spirit, through his spirit, through his spirit in air man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So there, the spirit of God and Christ are used interchangeably, it seems to me. It also, um, this does not mean, however, that the work of the two persons are are uh, confused somehow, but that one may sense the presence of Jesus in his life through the work of the Spirit in his life. It also helps us to make sense of John 14, verses 16 through 18, where we read this. Um, we're going to start with 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then he says, And I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper, that's the Spirit, that he may abide with you forever, who is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor uh, knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I, I, Jesus says, will come to you. So there we have the, the twin works of the Spirit and Christ, working in the heart of the believer. Through the indwelling of the Spirit, then Christ lives in his people in a more intimate way than was the case while he was on earth. When he was on earth, he was with the disciples and so forth. And we could look back at that and say, oh, that would be so great if, if that was the case today. If we could see him, you know, and hear him speak and all that. No, he is with us in a more intimate way now than he ever was before his uh, ascension. Now, how might we apply these truths? Well, sometimes we tend to forget that God is everywhere. Uh, we act as if he either is not everywhere or that he does not see what is going on in our lives. You know, the older I get, the more impressed I am with what my mother 
poured into me at a very early age. I was, I was pretty inquisitive, and I don't know, maybe all children are, but about God and all that when I was four, five, six years old. And I remember that, you know, Mama wasn't a great theologian. Uh, she didn't sit around reading the systematic theology and all that stuff all the time, but she had a very solid uh, faith, and she poured a few things into me, and one of them was, her telling me that God was everywhere and saw everything that we ever did and knew everything that we ever thought. Now that didn't keep me from being bad. Like I said, I didn't get sent to Chairman Hunt for being good. So it did take a while before all this stuff began to really gel. But at the same time, I never lost sight of the fact that God knows. He knows. Why? Because he is omnipresent. Where can I go from his presence? I can't. Nowhere. No matter if I go to the depths of the sea, he is there. If I go anywhere, he is there. You cannot get away from the omnipresence of God. He is with us wherever. But we do tend to forget that, apparently, or to rebelliously hide it. And so we sin. And when we do so, we become, at that point, practical atheists. We affirm God with our minds, but not with our hearts or our actions. The fear of God in the sense of the awe of God should serve to keep us straight. We should, when we are tempted to sin, every time say to ourselves, it's, we should say it so much that it becomes not something that we say conscious, self-consciously, but something that just comes up. God is there. He's watching. He's right here by me right now. A Christian fear of God keeps this awesome nature, his awesome nature, I mean, before us continually. A Christian fear of God always knows God is right here by me. He is watching. He is listening. He knows. He is always continually with us in his presence. And when we focus on his omnipresence, then we are convinced of a special presence. And if we forget that, then we do become and very easily become tempted to sin. In fact, I would even say prone to sin. By remembering God's omnipresence, then we can better live our lives in the power of the one who was raised in power. And so it is important for us to always think about the omnipresence of God. He knows. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm doing. And one of these days, I'm going to have to give an account of every word spoken. And the best thing I can do myself is behave myself. All right. Like I said, this is going to be a short lesson, so do you have any comments or questions? Yes, ma'am. Just trying to wrap my head around this. Is God where... The non-elect go after they die because I thought that hell, the very definition of hell, was being apart from God. You know, I thought that for many years too. And recently I read something which uh, indicates, and, and I really I can't give you a definitive answer on it, but I will say this. I wrestled with that before, and recently I've come up with something that said God is in hell uh, because of a text such as this. Where can I go from your presence? If I'm in hell, you're there also. The difference is that if he is in hell, 
those that go there know him as nothing more than judge and they experience his personal wrath, not just uh, being absent from his goodness, but his personal wrath poured out upon him. As a judge. As a judge. Okay, I get confused with the Apostles' Creed too. The, he descended into hell? Yeah. All right, all that is, is a, and you can look in your, your hymn book in the front of it, you'll see this there. Uh, where it says, this is called the descent clause, and all that is is an anachronistic way of saying uh, Jesus suffered all the pains of hell for us intensively. Not extensively, that means he'd have to still be there. But intensively, for a period of time on the cross, he suffered the pains of hell for his people. To our 21st century years, it's kind of strange, I'll admit but uh, I guess we could have said, we could change it to read something like, uh, instead of he descended to hell, he suffered all the pains of hell for us. We'd never get used to it. <laughs> I can't get used to the new version in the, in the Trinity Hymnal, quite frankly, and I'm very glad that we don't use that. I like the old version. Good question, Kathy. Others? No others. Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm mulling over <clears throat> all of this. It, you know, it's good for me to do that and to think. But, but if you said something like his omnipresence lets him know what's going on everywhere, that was something similar to those mm, words. Yeah, I wouldn't use quite that word, but right. I, I know what, what you're saying. What words would you use then? Uh, well, let me just ask another question, uh, because then I was then I was thinking, well, it's not just his omnipresence that allows him to do that; it's his sovereignty, and it's his, his justice, and his, his wisdom, yeah, everything, yeah. yeah. So, all so, of above. So this is where, and one of the things that we've talked about is that all of the attributes, attributes support each other, and yes. they all work together. Yeah. So. That's yeah, all I was yeah Grant made a yeah. strong point of that mm -hmm. three or four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. that, that it's not like here's an attribute out there and there's one out right. there and they aren't related to one another, but they all work together. They are all what God is. Okay. And this is a good example of that. Thank you. You know what is so sad? At our age, we read obituaries. Yeah. <sighs> there was one yesterday or today. <laughs> The woman was cremated, and then you know they would go do a service. I mean, they don't mention any affiliation with a church. Yeah, that is, I notice it a lot. That is so sad. I uh, that's all about the main reason I, I still get the paper. By the way, if y'all are paying fifty dollars a month for the paper, I'll tell you what you can do now. This may, this may hasten the demise of the Clarion Ledger, I don't know. But when they went to $50 or 55 or whatever it was a couple months ago, I said, all right, that's it. I'm not doing this. So I called them up and I said, I want to cancel my subscription. She said, may I ask what for? And I said, yes, ma'am, I'll tell you what for. I said, because $55, $50 a month is ridiculous. The paper is not worth that. She said, would you do it for 13 <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll do that. 
It may not be worth 13, but I'd, take, I'd do that just for the good deal. They come up with different amounts every time. Yeah, I know it. So I pay 13, so if you're paying 50, you might really uh, give them a call. Are you and sure you didn't add anything else? Check in. You didn't add anything else about how they were? Liberal? No, 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 no. I, I said, price only, that was it. Price only. And I couldn't believe it. I figured, you know, if she wanted to dick her a little bit, I thought, well, she might say 45 or $13 a month. I said, yes, ma'am. That I said, is yeah. unusual. Yes, ma'am. Sometimes I don't hear correctly. Did you say 13? That's exactly what I said. Yes. Well, when I call, they let me have it for 20. And that won't last forever. They'll start yeah. creeping that back up. If they do, I'll make the same phone call. That's right. But they're going up $10 a month. Any Watch it. Well, call them. It ain't gone up since then. I've been two or three months now. About a year. If they do, I'll just simply call them and cancel again. You watch it. I'll watch it. You're talking about a bunch of crooks you're working with now. That anybody go for $55, $13, something wrong. I'll tell you what. But it ain't worth $13. I agree. <laughs> I agree. If it wasn't for the obituary, it's Martha's puzzle. That's it. 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 That's 10.30. Time to go. 10.30, time to go. Is there anything else? <clears throat> Nothing else. All right, then let's close the prayer. Father, we thank you. Well, it's time together. We thank you that you are, O oh Lord, omniscient. We thank you that you are independent. We thank you for that you are all the things that you are. But particularly, we thank you that you are these things to us. Not just that you are, but that you are what you are to us, your people, your children, those who were cosmic rebels who are now your children by adoption. We pray, oh God, that, that your relationship with us would be more and more and more real each day and month and year that we live on this earth, that we might understand more about what you are and, and what, you, what you call us to do to be your people and, and to, to glorify you with our lives, that we might indeed, O oh Lord, look forward one day to standing before you and hearing you say, well done. We ask now that you'll be with us as we go into worship. Uh, control our minds, our thoughts, O oh Lord, in such a way that, that, we would, that all that we would do and say and think there would accrue to the honor and the glory of our Lord Jesus and that it would uh, approach and, and rise to your throne of grace as a sweet savor in your nostrils that we would worship you in spirit and in truth and glorify our Lord Jesus in, the, in, it, in it all. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. We'll get to I guess you better take off the last